Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your smiling faces out there. Now, can you hear? Can you hear that sound? That is me rubbing my hands together, which means one of two things. One, I'm cold, or two, I'm excited about something. And in this case, it is most definitely the latter. I am very excited to let you guys know that Wits Up is bringing you some live coverage from this Sunday's Ironman 70.3 Sunshine Coast race. We have a fantastic field lining up in the women's race, and I just refuse to believe that we can't find a way of covering it. So we are bringing you a live feed over on our Wits Up Facebook page. It probably looks quite different to what you've seen before, particularly from us, but I'm very excited. We're going to have live crosses to the race. Uh, We might have some competitions involved and a couple of special guests as well. Uh, So if you're interested in following along um, please make sure you jump on over to the Wits Up Facebook page. I think kickoff is at 6 a.m. for the actual race, which means we'll be going live at about 5.40 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So get involved. We are super excited to bring you some quality content. We're going to have a lot of fun with it as well. And most importantly, we get to showcase uh, the great race that is Sunny Coast 70.3 and the amazing athletes as well. So we Uh, We, the people, are bringing you race coverage for the people. That's you guys at home who get to watch some live action racing. All right, that's it from me. We are going to get stuck straight in to my podcast episode with the very lovely and one of Wits Up contributors, Emma Billum. I'm Joe Coombe and I am a Patreon of Wits Up because... Back in the good old days when we used to read paper magazines, I wouldn't think twice about buying a triathlon magazine for $10, and then I'd be disappointed because there were so few women being covered in it. Steph came along and changed all that um, with Wits Up, with the podcast, with all the videos that she produces, and I just think it's well worth the money to actually pay for that service. Um, so you can become a Wits Up Patreon too. Go to patreon.com slash witsup or click on the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Wits Up podcast. One of our favorite Wits Up contributors, but she's still pretty new to the contributions uh, to the Wits Up platform. So that's why we thought it'd be a great idea uh, to introduce her to the Wits Up Airwaves, so people get to know her a little bit better. Everyone, this is Emma Billum. Is this when I come in? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Steph. I'm I'm honoured to be on the podcast. I wouldn't say favourite contributors because I've only written a couple of articles, so um, um, they weren't that exciting, let's put it that way. It's not like what happened at the last race. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to disagree, disagree with that uh, because I I think unfortunately it's very hard to find uh, women who are so into bikes and knowing their shit when it comes to bikes. And you are that person, and I love it, and it makes me very happy to find someone else out there who knows their shit when it comes to the intricate details of the machine that we spend most of the time on during, during a triathlon. It's, um, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to, to take it apart and put it back together again and know that if you travel to a race and something comes loose in the box, you can fix it. But I don't want to come across as like as patronizing or, or like a teacher or anything. I just, I just get a kick out of it. And, and yeah. I, and and sometimes I've been on rides where uh, some somebody will flat and their boyfriend will jump in and grab the wheel and, and change it and and I ride with a woman back home she's she's fifty I mean she she'll drop me on any ride she's super strong yeah. but she has no idea how to remove a wheel even just I mean never mind fix the puncture she can't take the wheel off her bike and she's been riding oh, wow. for she's been riding for for, for thirty odd years. It's like, how can you not? But somebody's always done it for her. And she's mm. like, oh, no, I'm just useless. It's like, well, that's kind of wrong. You're not useless. It's Correct. Yeah. So there and, you go. And that's why I love that we have got you contributing to the Wits Up platform. Um, I think it's so important. Um, and I need to also say, I don't think that 
every uh, female triathlete or cyclist out there doesn't know much about bikes, but generally speaking, um, similar things have happened. Well, here's an example. I, when I used to coach, I was out for a ride with one of my athletes, a male, and he got a flat. Um, and he, I said, oh, we'll just pull over and we'll change it. He's like, no, 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 you go ahead. That's okay. I'll catch up with you later. And I was like, no, mate, it's not a, it's not a drop ride. Like we, you know, we're out for a cruise together. You know, it's, uh, it's not every man or woman for themselves. We're, we're in it together type of thing. But he just kept trying to push me up the road. Like, no, 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 you go. And anyway, then I realized that he didn't know how to change a flat. And I was like, yeah, he was embarrassed. Um, but then, so we pulled over and I started changing uh, his flat or sh- and showing him. A- another guy on the bike came past, pulled over, and I was like, what does he think because I'm changing it that I don't know what I'm doing? So I started to get my back up ready to have an argument with him. And I was like, oh, are you right? And he went, yeah, yeah, I just saw you teaching this guy and I thought I'd better learn as well. So I thought I'd learn from you. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just um, – I see it all the time because uh, I generally tend to or I used to when I was fit ride with a lot of guys. Um, and it's 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 a nice thing. They're trying to do a nice thing by offering to change the tyre. I don't take offence to it at all. Uh, but it seems like it's just this, this um, kind of uh, unspoken thing out there that if you're in a group with men that the men will automatically change – change your flat and I'm like no no no. I don't I don't need thank you but I don't need you to do that yeah I think there's there's several things because there's so many new people who are new to cycling as well even road cycling so I've met a lot of of men who have no idea either they I mean they have no idea how to adjust their gears you ask them what what gearing they've got and they don't know so it's not just limited to to ladies and sure and it's more of an opportunity thing yeah you're right I mean the gender balance has always been kind of in one direction and it's like with Mm. all things gender it's difficult to sort of push it back the other way and when you walk into a bike shop people are often assume that because you're a girl you're probably more interested in the color of the bike rather than um mm-hmm. what gearing it's got on it and everything it's just it'll it'll, it'll change but and, and to be yeah. honest i didn't know the first thing about bike or my bike shop did all my mechanical stuff and until i met my current partner and um that was three, three and a bit years ago now. And I'd actually just got a new time trial bike from the bike shop, but it came as a, like a frame. It wasn't built. And, yeah. and he's getting super excited. He's like, oh yeah, let's get parts. And we, we kind of, it was one of our first, not, not quite our first dates, but it was like in the first few months. And we were down mm-hmm. in the basement because that was the only space we had because the apartment was too small and we didn't want to get it messy with all the grease and stuff. And we spent hours one evening um, with a big spotlight putting this bike together. And, and I'd never really taken an interest. I had no idea um, how a DI2 was put together and which cables went where. And, and it was just great to, to know and to be able now, now I can recable break, a break. And if there's something wrong, I can do it. And it's quite cool to be able to do that. But I didn't know three years ago either. So, yeah. And yeah, just speaking of the bike shops, I, I'm certainly not an expert, uh, but I love learning and I, I learn every time. Uh, but I'm not going to lie, my bike shop constantly says to me, stop stop fiddling with your bike because you've messed this up or you've messed this up. <laughs> I'm, like, but I'm, yeah. I'm trying to learn. And yeah. like, That's fine. But, you know, we're, we're not talking a cheap, you know, BMX that you're tinkering with. Maybe learn, learn a bit more yeah. before you start opening things up. Exactly. I'm no Tour de France mechanic. I will. <laughs> I do. Uh, disclaimer so so growing up were you the kid that um that if you know your parents are like oh the toast is broken and you're like give it to me I want to stick a screwdriver in it while it's not plugged in uh, let's <laughs> make sure that we're very clear about that uh but I remember being that kid um and my, my younger brother and I we used to do it all the time he was actually outstanding at it and he's now an electrician and I think that was kind of inbuilt in him that he was just Oh, I, I want to problem solve with you know electronics and stuff. Was that you? Uh, no, to be honest, I did like silk painting and stuff. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember my my mum bought me a silk painting kit. Oh, I don't know, it must have been eight or something. And I did like wood engraving. I was more of an arty farty kind of kid until I got into sports, and then I was doing too much sport to 
to to draw and but I used to write loads and read loads I was more of a sort of yeah quiet kind of kid right silk yeah. painting what yeah, is I know. that exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's you just paint on silk but you have to oh god I can't even remember it was so long ago the the paint um spreads really quickly through the material um oh. and if it dries and it leaves like real like marks where oh, I can't even remember it's like so long ago I did cushion covers yeah. with flowers and stuff on it oh my goodness yeah I know it didn't last long it was like my ice skating phase I didn't last very long with ice skating either but so like figure ice skating or racing no, no ice like skating figure stuff really <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't very old and it was more like we just moved to the French speaking part of Switzerland it was more so that I had an activity where I could go and learn the language rather than that my parents actually hoped I would get into figure skating um right but, but yeah I did figure skating for a year which you wouldn't actually think if you saw my dancing skills right now <laughs> <laughs> have you watched the movie I Tonya no no I d- I really liked it. I think it's a, a really good movie uh, about Tonya Harding. Do you know who Tonya Harding is? No, I don't. I'm sorry. I feel you like are I shameful. Feel like you are you are disgrace <laughs> to the ice skating and figure skating <laughs> industry. <I love> eight. <laughs> um, Tonya Harding is the. Now you're going to have to go and watch it because it's. I think it's I a fantastic film. It's got Margot Robbie in it, who I'm a massive fan of. Um, but she also produced it as well. Like she, she, so I'm a massive fan of hers because of her acting, but also because uh, she, I think, pretty much uh, launched her own production company as well. And in Hollywood, there aren't a whole bunch of women in those kind of roles um, or positions in Hollywood. So I rate, you know, your people like your Reese Witherspoons and Margot yeah. Robbie's who are out there just getting it done. I love it. Um, but anyway. Tonya Harding is the one who allegedly, and I'm doing the quotation marks, um, or, you know, the whatever you call it, um, you know, when you put your two fingers up and you go, allegedly. um, (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was those ones. um, Allegedly organised for someone to beat up her American rival who's, oh, God, Nancy Kerrigan. And um, they basically smashed her legs with a baton, oh and God. she could. Yeah, it's it's one of uh, sports' biggest um, controversial stories, uh, and she ended up being banned from uh, US US figure skating league. I don't know what it's called, um, but yeah. You, so you need to go. It's a fascinating story. She still pleads that she's innocent. She didn't organise it, but it was her bodyguard that did, and she didn't know anything about it. And blah my, blah blah. Yeah, my figure skating career didn't last very long, and and the references are definitely lost on me. But but I'll look it up. <laughs> Do you know what? I think most people when I have a discussion, there's that's that point in time when you're like, oh yeah yeah, and I say something like, oh I Tonya, and you, there's crickets. There's that that space in time where nothing is said and I just go, oh, they do not understand my reference. (laughs) And it happens all the time on the podcast. (laughs) All right, because this conversation is not going anywhere near where I thought it was going to go. No, (laughs) but but there's a part of you who knew that it was going to go somewhere random. You knew that deep down. Probably, probably. (laughs) (laughs) And after the figure skating, there was the horse riding, and I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna like this one because so many other triathletes you've had on the podcast recently have been what? into horses. I don't know what. what? It is. I d- and I don't. I don't. I don't know either. I don't know. Is it because you you have this sense of that you trust your steed, you trust your horse, you trust your bike? It's about early mornings. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the the horse to bike transition has anything to do with riding. I think it's like more financial, <laughs> probably at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> but all circumstance, uh, but it's just it's just really funny. It's just really funny. Oh goodness! I rode until I was like sixteen, probably. And, so yeah. yeah, in what? How how are you involved in horse riding? I think again, it was an activity that I wanted to do. My mum had always ridden. Um, and we, we, we'd moved to a new area and 
you got these after school activities and I was swimming and after the ice skating, I started horse riding because I wanted to. And we rode in the stables for a while, but I mean, that's quite pricey in Switzerland. And then we moved to a farm, where, which was a lot quieter with, with some private ponies. And my sister and I had a little pony we could ride who would just kick us off and run off up the field. And when it was raining, he'd refuse to go out. And, and it was really quite funny. And in the same place, uh, there was another guy with another couple of horses and one of them got lame. And because I was 12 at the time and super lightweight, he bought another horse and I got to ride the lame one and, and it recovered and it was kind of my horse for a while and that was kind of cool. Um, right. Yeah. Then teenage years and sport took over, so I stopped riding. But, right. Yeah. I, um, okay. So let's – I want to I want to take it back because you've, you've mentioned this a couple of times, how you, you moved to a different place and there were different activities uh, that you took part in to, you know, try and fit in and meet people. C- correct? Yeah. So yeah. – Obviously, I'm I, I'm English. I can't, I sound British, but I don't have, I don't I, try, I probably sound a little bit fancy and posh because I don't have an accent from anywhere. Um, because my mum and dad are British, but they moved to Switzerland before I was born. So I actually I was born and grew up in Switzerland, and I, I spoke English at home, but but not with any particular um, intonation, if you like. So, and I can't swear in English because. I know you, you, you like you kind of you don't mind people swearing on the podcast, but I'm just not very good at it. It's quite embarrassing, but I never <laughs> swore when I was growing up, so I don't really do f words and stuff because I'm, I can swear in French, but I'm pretty useless yeah. at swearing in English because it just sounds weird. What? Okay, uh, I need to unpack this. At what <laughs> point in time did you go think to yourself? Oh, I'm just not good at swearing in English. Like, when, when did you pick up on that? Um, <laughs> probably, oh, I don't really know. I just, I've just never done it. And, and when you start traveling overseas, I mean, I've been to Australia, I've traveled loads, and you're, you're in big groups of people and they're just throwing F-bombs around. And you're going, yeah. I, can't, I just can't put that in a phrase because if I say it, it's just going to sound weird. <laughs> I feel like um, okay. Can you, you say shit? You, you know when you you know you you, lang- you learn a new language and and it just feels very awkward swearing in that language because it's not yours. It feels like you're trying to be cool. Yeah, but when you so whenever I've said you know I'm trying to learn a new language, someone guaranteed someone who speaks that language fluently or it's their you know their number one language will always tell me. A swearing word. A swearing Absolutely. word. Absolutely. It's kind of the first ones you learn, but you still feel a little yeah. awkward saying them. It's like, I don't know how to say a full sentence, but I can, I can say shit. And okay. Can you say um, that uh, that bike is the shit? <laughs> say it. <laughs> this is going to turn into, uh, as, in, as in the shit, as in it's, it's pretty, that's, that's pretty it's awesome. good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. That does, that's yeah. just not part of my vocabulary. And, <laughs> and this is going to sound really poncy and, and, and upper class, but it's just really weird for me. I'd, I'd say it in French. In French, say it in would French. be, ce vélo, c'est de la balle. Ooh. Yeah. You sound a little bit aggressive, though. Yeah, that's probably because, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I am kind of short when I talk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so how many languages can you speak? Uh, three and a bit. What does Spanish, and a bit mean? Spanish being the bit because I can get by in like a basic conversation. I can get a pool entry and order a coffee <laughs> and figure my way around a town if I'm lost, but that's about it. <laughs> Such a triathlete. I can get a pool entry. I learnt that. That's hilarious. I know how to order a beer in Spanish. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, really? Por favor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm fluent in that in that Perfect. sentence. In how many languages? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I think. Well, I can point. I can point to things in different countries. <laughs> That's really, really good at that. That's perfect. That's all you need. And also, anyone who listens to me on on a podcast or any of our platforms knows that um, I do my best. I really enjoy embracing different languages and trying my best, but I am very rubbish at the enunciation, no pronunciation, 
that is for sure. But I try. I get points for trying. It's. I think you get much more appreciation from people if you do try, even if you yes. sound. Because we always laugh because my partner is French, and oh, okay. I still often speak to him in English. But the French are very known for their sort of funny accent in English. Yeah. So um. So I just take the piss out of him all the time. I I try and speak to him in English, but it always ends up being with a French accent. So I go to him, uh, we can speak uh, English all you like. Um, and uh, he uh, actually understands me much better when I do it uh, with an accent like this. <laughs> but, oh, love it. I love so, it so much. Uh, but yeah, I think his accent okay. has got him more places than if he'd spoken like very cro- proper, correct English. Right. So when, um, and I think I've actually told this story before, but it's one of my favourites, that um, the, oh gosh, Geneva Airport being one side is in France, the other side is Switzerland, Switzerland, right? Yeah, there's two airports in Switzerland like it. Um, So Geneva is one, it's kind of shared French and, and Swiss. So it's mainly Swiss, but there's like a little French exit. So all the French flights go from that zone. And then there's the Basel Airport, which is um, Switzerland, Germany, and France. They kind of share it, but it's it's Swiss territory. Yeah. I okay. Think, officially, I don't but know. Very confusing. Be. Yeah. Very, very confusing. confusing. But Switzerland when you're dropping- is Switzerland is because you never know which language you're supposed to be speaking whenever you drive through it, and you can you can be in the French speaking part, and within an hour you go and have a coffee somewhere and order it in French, and the person will just look at you. Um, yes. So, but it just. When you live in Switzerland, it's not weird. It's just totally normal. And in fact, most Swiss people speak three languages without even thinking about it. It's just normal. Right. Got it. Um, so yeah. you, it's yeah, okay, yeah, because, oh, sorry, just cut out then, um, but I think you're back. Are you back? Yeah, I've got you. Yeah, yeah, I've got you. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, speaking to Caroline Stefan, and she she's tried to explain that to me in the past, but she speaks more Swiss-German. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. the main. So Swiss, yeah. the Swiss-German part is the biggest part. It's about 70% of the country. And the Swiss-French part is down in the west-hand corner, and the Italian part is more sort of southeast. Right. Yeah. Uh, and again, for anyone who listens to this podcast knows that my geography is terrible, uh, but I, I think I'm catching on. I think I can picture where all those countries lie and <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah, more or less. <laughs> so, okay, so is Switzerland the place that, and obviously it's the place that you grew up um, and you've travelled a lot. Do you see yourself staying there forever? No, probably not. It's, 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 it's kind of home and, and I like coming back here, but it's, it's very small and, and I love it because it's beautiful, but it doesn't have the expat. I remember the first time I went to Australia and I did, um, like an outback trip, one of these sort of student, uh, 10 day adventure trips in a minivan from yeah. Adelaide to the Red Center. Um, we just drove across the desert for days and days and days. And I remember standing on top of this van looking around me thinking, I've never seen anything this big in my life. Because wherever you go yeah. in Switzerland, you stand on a hill and there's 10 houses and you can, be in the, you can be in the mountains wherever you like. There's always a hut or a signpost or something to remind you that people are there. And, yeah. and you don't, that's something that, yeah, is very different in other parts of the world. And, and amazes me every time I go somewhere, which is, which has that vastness and the expanse. There's places in France you can go and Spain and, mm. I mean, Australia struck me because I'd never been somewhere just like, yeah. wow, so flat for miles and miles and miles. Mm. But, and so what took you to Australia? A, a gap year. <laughs> like, I uh. can decide, yeah, I, was, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do with my life and, and I still can't, but um well sort of (laughs) sort of but I was 19 and 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 I took I did a six-week trip to to Australia and it was great it's like freedom backpack freedom it was great and did you travel by yourself mostly yeah yeah but it was a bit it was a bit too quick because I went to I did Melbourne and then I went to Adelaide and Red Centre and Sydney and Brisbane and Fraser Island all within like six weeks yeah right it was just too much and I've yeah, I spent some time in Perth, but um, I should have stopped. I should have taken a bit longer 
to do it. But I was 19 and, and it was probably enough time to be away from home then. Yeah, fair on enough. On my own. Yeah. Oh, you, it's always going to be here. You can come back one day when the when the borders open and the world <laughs> yeah. yep, it returns to some kind of normality. <laughs> Uh, just don't come to Melbourne because it might take us a little bit longer to uh, for borders to open. Yeah, I know. Are you still in lockdown? <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean, I need to, you know, we've talked about lockdown, but lockdown across, I mean, lockdown across states in Australia look very different, um, let alone lockdowns across the world. Um, but we currently were allowed out for exercise for an hour a day uh, and to go and do the shopping, whatever we need to do. Um and yeah, so I mean, it's not it's not awesome, but it's not like other places where you see they've had to stay in, in, inside their flats for six weeks straight. It's yeah, not, yeah, as bad as that. Uh, it's certainly taking its toll, I think, uh, because it keeps getting extended. Um, but there's, we've certainly allowed to do um, more than I've seen, you know, across the, across the globe. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't know. I've turned a corner and don't feel so sort of depressed about it all and I feel like there's an opportunity hidden amongst all this bullshit that's happening at the moment that's how I feel like I feel I feel positive again um so I'm coming out of the darkness <laughs> yeah I, I definitely think it is turning I mean worldwide because it's obviously it's not such a it's not such a massive panic um mm. and you can you can feel we're kind of reaching the other side and uh, well I, I'll leave my my personal opinions and stuff it's probably not the place for it but <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely think people that just the general panic is dying down and people are just a lot more calm about yeah. it all and the, it's not going to be forever uh, and even if even if it is ongoing it, our life isn't ending basically which was kind of what we were trying to be led to believe a few months ago well yeah I think uh with you know we understand it a little bit better than yeah. what we did, you know, back in, I guess March was kind of the catalyst. Well, particularly in Australia, March is when it all really kind of struck. Um, yeah, the same here. But yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But that's boring. Who wants to talk about COVID? Exactly, boring. exactly. Too, too boring. much. Wasted time, wasted time. <laughs> um, I, want to talk, I want to talk about now, obviously, you're very talented um, and obviously work very hard at being a professional triathlete. But I want to go back to... Um, you being a little bit more artistic when you were growing up because to me it's super obvious um, that you have this creative artistic flair and you can see it in your writing. The way that you write your blogs is super creative and not like any other triathletes blogs that I've ever read. To be honest, I've gotten to a point where I just don't read them anymore but yours has this sort of flair to it that I really, really enjoy. Um, and then I don't know how much you're involved with the actual photography itself, but your photos uh, that I assume your partner take, what's your partner's name? Uh, we'll just call him G. His name is Guillaume, but most of the French Guillaume. can't even pronounce it, so it's just Big G. <laughs> Big, G. Big G. Got it. Big G and little E. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um yeah, and I assume that G takes some of the photos as well, but I really like your the style. Um, you know, this is purely based on Instagram as well. But uh, do you feel like that is a bit of a creative outlet, outlet for you, the writing and the photography? Well, thanks for the compliment first, um, going back. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely not creative in, in any way. Now. Like I don't draw or paint or do any of that anymore, um, yeah. and I definitely can't do music at all I'm just useless yep. absolutely hopeless but the writing is I've always read well I read when I was a kid I don't anymore because I don't have time but um <laughs> and I just wrote I was I was a very moody teenager and Ooh. and I've always been quite reserved and and I wrote a, a journal for years and years because it just helped me through quite a lot and the blogs were kind of an extension of that without being quite as private and then I haven't had so much time recently because I've, I've taken on more work, so I don't have so much, so much time to write. And that was one of the reasons I, I offered to, to write the WIBSUP blogs, like the mechanical stuff, because I didn't want to write another race report, but mm. I could feel my writing was getting a bit rusty. And I kind of wanted mm. that if, I, if I've got to do it for somebody, if somebody's expecting it, then I'm going to do it. If it's just my own blog, and, mm. and I don't want to talk about myself all the time. So, so it, was, it was kind of a bit selfish. The, the offer of, of content in a way 
Um, because that's really definitely enjoyed. how it came. It definitely came across that way. As soon as you contacted us, I was like, "Oh, selfish, obnoxious, obnoxious human." <laughs> but I, I really enjoy writing them. I, I really do. And the photography is no, it's more something we've learned. But so we we run a we run a communication business, which is a very generic term to say not a lot. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I do translation copywriting. I've got uh, sort of a bit of both, oh. and um, Guillaume is more into. Um, digital um, uh, sales. So all the all the annoying Facebook ads and stuff um, that like um, mess up your feed. Every third post is him. Yep. Well, not all of them, but for the brands we work for, um, yep. he manages that. So it's a lot of online sales and e-shops and things like that. And we've got a couple of like content contracts, and photography is part of that. So whether we're um, photography, I mean, it's very general and we, we often have a lot of, of content to produce for the brands we work for, even if it's just product shots. And he's really into his photography. And over the last few years, we've invested in a couple of, of, of better cameras and lenses and, and we just enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and we're always outdoors. And when we've got time, we're, and actually to be fair, no, I should go back a bit further. Um, when I met him, he was he was kind of an influencer, like a like an Instagrammer. Ah, oh. because it, for for a re, for a bit of a weird reason, he he used to work for a big Swiss bike brand uh, in the marketing department, and he managed athlete contracts. And none of the athletes he had were. This was when Instagram was just kind of starting out, and social media was becoming a real a real communication tool and yep. something that brands were really after. And none of the athletes he had were willing to put in the work or could really understand how it how it worked and what they had to do and he set his account up to show them it was like look this is how it's done you go outside you set your tripod up or your mobile phone or whatever you ride past it a couple of times you hit the shutter you you hit the remote um you download the app give it a couple of tweaks up it goes these are the hashtags and and that used to work it doesn't so much anymore but that yep. was how his account grew and um, when I met him, he was an Instagrammer, which which did create quite a lot of tension between us. You know, the whole Instagrammer versus athlete debate with brands and stuff. Yep. That was, yeah. Yep. That was source of many arguments. Um, really? Well, not, I, I, I wouldn't that. say arguments, but it was source of tension a few times. It's like, well, why is he getting all the shit? And I'm working my backside off day in, day out. And I've won this race and I've won that race and nobody can get, nobody will give me a bike. So yeah. we did have a few sort of like, it wasn't, they weren't arguments. They started off as a discussion, which kind of got a little tense as I got gotcha. defensive, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, social media doesn't quite work that way anymore. So um, yeah, right. Or maybe we just get on better. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> so I have no idea where the original question was in all that. Oh, I no, me neither. Like wandered like way off course. Yeah. Uh, once again, I, I don't remember either, and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> um, but being artistic, well, that's kind oh, it was of the where photography. We're going it was the photography, yeah. and you know that yeah. picture you commented on about it was oh. the, the picture of the riders of the road, the yep. curve in the road with the two riders. Yeah. So we actually sat on a rock above the road, and it was a super busy day. And on some of the big Swiss passes, like it's like a motorway at the weekend. Anything on two wheels, including ponies, that are going up that road. And all we had to do was wait until this couple of riders rode past. And it's not even ours, actually, on the photo, but they're wearing blue, and our team kit is blue. Oh, like, well, oh, nice. Perfect. That'll do. And we felt a bit guilty about it because we hadn't actually – we didn't actually hang the camera off the ledge and ride un, ride past underneath it. But it was a great photo. It's a fa it's fantastic. And I love that because I've now just followed him since we've been talking. I'm now following G. and um, <laughs> I love that he's just written on that shot because you both posted it, um, yeah. not a drone shot because that's what automatically what you think. And then I yeah. was like, that's actually, like that is super, if that is a drone shot, that's super, super yeah. clear, um, particularly when there's not a whole bunch of, like there's a lot of shadows and stuff. And mm. then, yeah, when I realised that it's a, yeah, it's a camera shot. Yeah, that's it's amazing. Really, uh, it wasn't a drone. It's yeah, drone it's, it's so good. I'm looking at yours now, roads like these. <laughs> don't you reckon coming up with captions for instagram is like the bane of my existence 
uh, Instagram is the bane of my existence. Never mind the captions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're the only ones. Oh, God, no. No, I don't think so. It's like, oh, I don't know if you want to go into it or not. Um, Let's do it. I really, really, really struggle with social media. And I think so many athletes do. Yes. And it's like, it's, it's something you have to do. You might not in a few years because it's, it is losing speed and people are just over it. I think, mm-hmm. and COVID was probably gave it a sort of a bit of a new lease of life. But but any system that's based on like that feeds off people's insecurity is for me just not even worth the time of day. But yeah, you can't get away from it, and yeah, and you've got to play the game. And how you play the game is is, I mean, it's just personal choice and personality and decision. And you got yeah. yeah. It's so different from one athlete Ooh, to the lost, next. Oh, sorry, I just lost you for I just lost you for about five seconds there. Okay, so um, sorry, um, it's just about personality and how you play the game is what you're saying. Yeah, and and every athlete has their own interpretation and their own way of dealing with it, and some are very comfortable mm. with it and very happy to show a lot of their life on it, and others use it like personally. It's the choice I've made is more. I mean, you're a brand. At the end of the day, it's it's an image and mm. it's a it's a a way of communicating. And I'm a very private person, and my Instagram account is is a very select part of what I want to share. But it's, it's right, and, and it's a and it's a choice. Yeah, but um, you're you're a very private person. What what makes you say that? I just don't feel comfortable sharing my life and who I am beyond maybe an athlete who wins a race every now and then or right. or, or or does a race every now and then uh, with people I don't necessarily know but yeah. I'm aware that it's part of my job as an athlete to to share some of what I'm going through because that's kind of what what has been brought what is considered acceptable and what, what people and brands and audience expect. Mm. So, so, and it's funny cause I think I probably kind of know the answer to this one, but so you know what our podcast is about, which can get quite personal where, how do you feel about me asking you to be a part of this podcast? I want to speak to the people I want to speak to. So, so <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're all good. You're good. And and to be honest, I was actually quite interested in this chat too because I knew you weren't going to tell me or ask me to give you a history of my triathlon career and ask me how my first Ironman went and and how I got through that horrendous race in Ireland last year because it's not what you're interested in and I didn't particularly want to talk about it again because I've been over that a million times and. And I'm more than happy to chat about horse riding and silk painting and ice skating. <laughs> and ice skating. Yeah. I'm just furiously crossing out Ironman Island. Lots of rain. <laughs> uh, just cross that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ireland. I really do. But uh, yeah, I've been over it. Yeah. Uh, but okay. So if listening to this, it's um you know if if people let's just pretend that people don't know who you are at all, uh, and we've kind of learnt that you know when you're younger you're quite creative and artistic, and then you found sports, so some of that side of you uh, was forgotten about, and you you got into sport at an elite level, uh, but you're also a very private person. Um, the other thing that I know about you is that you I mean and actually I'm assuming that you really shine bright in those triathlon events that are just about grit and determination. Uh, so I'm going to assume that that is a big part of your personality as well. Okay, silence because I have to consider. I actually, I don't, I don't know because I think you, I've been thinking about my triathlon career quite a lot over the last few months and right. I mean, Sure, I've done well in races that have been tough. So, and I know that I'm not ever going to be the fastest swimmer and I'm never going to be the strongest on the bike and I will never be the fastest runner out there because that's just, I mean, it's just the way, the way I am. Um, and based on, on observation over the last six, seven years. But how much do you condition yourself 
to perform in certain conditions, um, like mentally. If I've led myself to believe that I can only be good at the tough races, then maybe that's what I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I could have done well at, at flat races when it's like beautiful sunshine, no breeze and 18 degrees. I've just yes. led myself to believe that I can't be as strong as the others on those days. Do you think you've led yourself to believe that or a big part of that is media or someone like me saying, you appear to be, you know, this ABC? Like, do you feel like there's been outside um, influence on you? It's an interesting question, but and I'd never thought about it, but <laughs> probably, probably because you do end up, you are influenced by everything that, and that's part of what I have against social media is that, you end up mm. hanging out on it and whether you're conscious of it or not, you're still integrating a lot of information that subconsciously comes back later, whether you want it mm. to or not. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure that I've kind of defined myself as that for a number of reasons. And it's not just because of me, but I mean, it's just, it's not, mm. it's not a blame on anybody. It's just the way things evolve. Mm. Um, so maybe, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I know I went into the race in Ireland thinking, it's going to be a shit day and they're going to be cold. And yeah. I've decided I'm not going to be cold. Um, yeah, right. But I could have gone into a perfectly, uh, f- uh, like a fair weather race and told myself exactly the same thing. I'm going to smash it today, but I've never done that. So Interesting. Yeah. it's. Um, I think the mental side of sport, obviously it's one of the most important ones. And, and it's something I personally have struggled with throughout my entire career. Um, and I'm still trying to get to grips with, and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. And, and I'm very, and I admire the, the athletes who have that strength. In yes. all, yeah, who can just go out there and, and just stand on the start line and believe in their capabilities and the numbers and everything without ever doubting that. And I just have never really succeeded in doing that. And, and I'm working on it, but. Yeah, I'm not there yet. And there's a reason I was called, I mean, the little cabbage. I don't know if you remember that one. Yes, I do. And, yeah, I was really offended at the time. It was like I could have been an angry bird or, or, a, or a chap or a honey badger or God knows what else, but no, I, I'm a cabbage. And in high, it didn't give me any more confidence. It was like, okay, so, yeah, my head's, my head's in the wrong place. Um, and yeah. So I just want to jump in just really quickly, uh, just for those who are listening, who don't know what we're talking about here. So this is under the Brett Sutton tutelage, um, Daniel Reef. I really don't want to blame anyone for anything. That's not what I'm getting at. It was just a, it was just, it came to mind right then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't think anyone would take it that way. Um, but I find this quite quite interesting but yeah Brett has given some pretty formidable type of names um in particular to his female triathletes um you do you've got Angry Bird Daniela Reef you've got Honey Badger Mary Beth Ellis uh Xena Warrior Princess Caroline Stefan uh and so I can I can absolutely see how you I actually don't know the origin of Little Cabbage but I can see that that comparison would absolutely mess with your head. You try not to compare, but but you when you're in a squad environment, no. when I mean you do inevitably. Of course you do. There's not one athlete out there who doesn't open their Instagram feed and go, "Oh, what did she do today?" Mm-hmm. It's it's just the way the sport goes, and you've got to be very very strong to hold your ground and not be influenced by that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it too much at the time because because I was performing well. And, and it was kind of a bit of a joke. And I wrote the yeah. blog and everybody thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. but, it, but at the end, I, I left the squad because it wasn't so much the physical side that I just couldn't really cope with. It was a whole, it was a mental pressure that I just wasn't capable of dealing with. And because I had this label of the little cabbage and I was constantly told, look, you're standing in your own way. Your head's the problem. Sort it out but I had no idea how to sort it out. And yeah, and even now it's, 
I, this is why I'm not racing at the moment is because it's become, it's become unmanageable. And the pressure I put myself under is, is like for a week before the race, I'm in tears. Oh, mate. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just really difficult to, and I, I'm aware of why and, and all that, but, but it's so important to manage the, all the mental stuff. You can be as fit as you like. If your head's not in the right place, you're not going anywhere. And, yeah. Yeah. And that, surely that is part of a coach's job is to, you know, obviously recognize certain things in our athlete. And sure, let's say that your head was getting in your way, but how do you give tools to a person? And this is not just in sport, but how can you give tools to someone to help them move forward? Um, and I don't, from the sounds of things, it doesn't sound like that was uh, offered up. I don't know. and um, I, I don't know even if it was offered up. I don't know if I was in the mental space to actually right. understand it and right. and pick it up, to be, fair, to be very honest. It's only like after yep. seven, eight years in triathlon and getting over 30 and stuff that I know that sounds awful, um, <laughs> um, but you, you do start – I mean, you calm down a little bit and things aren't so much of a big deal and, and mm-hmm. there's not so many mountains to climb and, mm-hmm. and yeah, you figure things out. And I'm more, much more aware of, of things now than I ever was when I was 28 and going into Ironman Nice or 20, yeah. 30 or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to blame anyone for putting me in the wrong place. I think I put myself in the wrong place and then wasn't capable of, of listening to people enough to get out of it. And, and I've right. worked my way through three or four coaches since and it hasn't worked any better. So, and that's just, right. it's just me. It's just, uh, yeah. I just, I just need to do my own thing and work, work things out in my own time. And that's the only way that's going to happen really because nobody can do it for you. Sure. But at some stage, um, like any professional triathlete, whether they're part of a team, uh, team sport or an individual sport, there always tends to be a team around them um, and – we all recognize and uh, do you know what not even sport you know as individuals there's always a team around you at some stage I guess it is um figuring out who that team is who your inner circle is um you know who your bubble is uh do, do you think um and you know just stop me if it if at any stage you just don't want to talk about it anymore um but do you think particularly in the last sort of six months since COVID has happened and we've all almost had an opportunity to take time and take a step back from whatever we're doing. And in your case, obviously as a professional triathlete to, to reflect and learn, learn about ourselves, learn um, how we handle things in the greater scheme of life, not just racing. Do you feel like that's kind of where you're at, at the moment? Um, For me, I think for everybody, yes, it's given them time to, to think about things. Um. Maybe not. I mean, sorry, I'm probably coming yeah. up soon. Um, There's no wrong answer here, yeah. by the no, way. I know. You, I you know. take your time. <laughs> um, okay, maybe I'll start with me because it's it's probably the easiest. It, I don't think it was so much COVID as the fact that um, I started with a new coach in June to prepare for Ombra this year, which was was set to go ahead and I spent like six weeks training my backside off for that race and then it was cancelled with like 10 days to go and and I got to the end of my tether I'd run myself into the ground um I was actually glad the race was cancelled because I just physically I had no idea how I was going to get round because I was Mm -hmm. just knackered and and I was also just shitting myself because I realized that I got myself into such a state of pressure about racing. Racing for me has never, I've never actually really enjoyed it. It's, I've, I've always right. very much enjoyed the training, but, mm-hmm. but the, the racing is, it's always like it's been a judgment, not necessarily from the outside, but for myself. Um, it's like, it was, it's like my self-worth depends on, and I've only realized this recently, but every race was a test of how much I'm 
worth as a person. Um, and, and it's something you can never win because, of course, you can't win every race. And even if you win the race, it's the, the success is so short-lived that you're back at square one before you know it. And, mm. and I've always, that pressure is always kind of, and it's just built and built. And, and every time you come up short, I mean, the next race you're going into is, is worse. Um, and, and that kind of came to a head. Well, I mean, Kona was one thing, but um, mm. this summer it was like, I got to, I'd done this massive prep and all of a sudden I was just relieved that the race wasn't going on because I didn't have to go through that massive test again. And, mm. and that was the point when I spoke to, I've got a couple of friends and, uh, who I was speaking to about the whole mental approach to the training. And there's been so many times people have said to me, look, you're racing for all the wrong reasons. This has got mm. to be just because you like, it's just because you enjoy it. It can't be for anything else. And I've never been able to get my hand, head around that. And this summer was like, I don't know if it was COVID or the whole situation or just the fact that I'd once again put so much effort into preparing for the race and I'd got as far as the race and it's like, I can't do this. And when it was cancelled, I was just, the relief was just massive. And I was like, stop, I'm 33. This can't go on. I either saw myself out and, and, and race because I want to race or find a way to race and enjoy it or I stop because it's not worth it. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now. Um, but with that comes the struggle of if, you're, if you don't race anymore, so if you kind of, I'm not going to say retire because at 33, that makes me sound like I'm 60. <laughs> but... Um, if you don't a triathlete anymore, and that's basically what my life has been for the last six or seven years, has been a professional athlete. And even though I've worked and everything on the side, I've always come back to that. And that is the core of who I am. But if that's taken away, if, if I'm not a triathlete anymore, then what am I? And the whole COVID situation, I think, has been a little bit like that for a lot of people. And we're seeing athletes now who are coming out and saying, who, who maybe during the corona period, we're, going, we're posting lots of motivational stuff and keeping the training going and kind of motivated to this and 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 now that now you can actually see a lot of people have struggled with it because all of a sudden their identity was kind of removed for, for some time and you can't be a triathlete anymore because there's no races and beyond the financial pressure is well if there's no triathlon then what am i going to mm. do and uh, maybe it's temporary for now but when you get to the sort of towards the end of your career, the question is definitely, I mean, it's a massive question for, for and not just in triathlon, just like for all athletes. Like, mm. what are you when, yeah, how do you deal with what comes after? And mm. I, that was a very, very muddled answer. There was a lot in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I've said before, that is quite okay. There's, um, I have I, no I, idea I, you can get anything out of that. <laughs> pick and, pick and choose. I'm deleting the last 20 minutes of our discussion. <laughs> I'm going back to ice skating and horse riding. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be too philosophical. Philosoph phil phil how, how do you pronounce that one? Philosophical. Philosophical, philosophical about it. Um, but, but, yeah, it's definitely questions I've been thinking about the last few weeks. So, so there you yeah. go. <laughs> Look, I mean, and not to blow my own trumpet or anything, but I one of the things I love about this podcast, and we actually touched on this before we hit record, was – I, I kind of love that we can have a conversation and even during that conversation you can hear the person on the other side have their own little revelations, whatever that might be. Um, and I don't know, if it helps you just to talk things through out loud, then you're one step, you know, closer to where you want to be, whatever that is. We don't, we don't know. You probably don't know. But I don't know. I just I feel like conversation is a very, very powerful tool. Yeah, and it's def it's definitely not stuff I would talk with uh, talk about normally with with most people. And mm. and I'm just well, I mean, you asked, and I don't mind answering. And I also think that maybe maybe some other triathletes out there are going through something similar. And because social media is what it is, but there's a lot of fake authenticity in it, and mm. and there's a lot of cover ups. And and I know that a lot more people than we think are, are struggling with with everything and. And if there's anything I've learned in my years as a triathlete, I don't want to call it a career because 
I heard the interview you had with Lisa Norden. That's just a completely different level. And I would never, ever compare myself to, to people or athletes of that caliber. But so I'm not going to call my career a career. But in my triathlon journey, I think if there's one thing I've learned is that just the whole mental approach to it is just you can't, you can't ignore it. And, no, no yeah. absolutely. Do you know what? I reckon there'll be people listening to this who is like I'm doing, sitting here nodding um, and kind of not, not, not necessarily agreeing but understanding where you're coming from, particularly right now. And to be honest with you, um, probably April, May, um, I, I had meltdown after meltdown trying to figure out who, who am I if I can't travel the world and cover races and talk about triathlon and um, Brett lost his job and he's been a chef for 30 years and he he literally does not have the same kind of job to go back to and we, we can't see that job every – well, not ever, but that job does not exist um, and, and we we can't see him going back to that exact same kind of job for years to come. Yeah. So – and he would never admit it um, out loud. You know, so I just – I completely understand um, – I just, I just think speaking for all of the humans out there who are listening to this, um, I, I think that they would be thanking you for being so open and honest about uh, what you're going through at the moment, uh, because I, I just think it's going to resonate with so many people. But on the plus side, to sort of not sound too dreary yeah, okay. all the time, <laughs> is I've, I've probably worked since I was 16 through my entire, I mean, for the last. Oh God, math, math isn't my strong point. Seventeen years, um, and I've been I've been a swim teacher, I've been a PE teacher, I've been a translator, I've been an architect. Um, oh wow! I, I mean, you can do social media now. We're into the, all the digital stuff, and and I'm getting to grips with the camera. There is so much you can learn and do, and nothing is ever fixed. It's not because you train as an architect that you're ever going to be an architect. Or that you have to be an architect, and if you if you leave those doors open, or you create the opportunities, they they always come through. Even yep. if it's someone you speak to five years before, and you'd forgotten about them completely, and all of a sudden there's a phone call comes in, and 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 an offer comes up, and so many it's happened so many times to me. Um, you just have to leave those doors open, and and it will. So so yeah, you don't have to be a chef all your life. Or you probably won't be a chef all your life. And that, I think that's really quite cool. Uh, and, couldn't and agree being more. A triathlete, being a triathlete also gives you the opportunity to, to travel and meet a lot of people and open those doors or potentially open those doors, which will maybe down the line help you along or send you in a different direction. Definitely. And I think you nailed it. You have to keep those doors open. Um, and, I, I mean, a lot of people aren't. I'm a risk taker. I've taken some big risks in my life and uh, not always knowing uh, what the other side of that risk is going to look like, but just knowing that I'll be committed to it however it looks. And it it always seems to have worked out for me and I'm a big believer in that. Uh, And you you certainly sound like you – I guess you're similar – you're not doing things half-assed, so and I think that makes a big a big difference. And you're not expecting things uh, to turn out tomorrow. Uh, you're willing to put in the hard yards. Yeah, and we've, or I, I mean, things things always have a way of working out. And we've got, uh, um, sorry, that's that's Big G. Just come back. Just give me a second. Hi, Big G. I just need to tell him to not log on to my um, uh, hotspot. Oh yes. We might lose you. Tu peux mettre ton ordinateur sur ton hotspot parce qu'il est sur le mien. Il est sur le mien. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, so, no, so we've got, with the business right now, we set it up a couple of years ago. And, and I'm not going to lie, it's bloody hard work running your own business. Um, yep. There are no weekends and there's probably no evenings either. Or definitely not in a minute, but but it's just the freedom of run and seeing something that you built grow. I mean, you know this from the podcast, and I've heard you talk about it. It's it's a different kind of excitement, even if the work isn't always what you want to be doing. I mean, I've translated terms and conditions. It's like the most boring thing you can ever translate. <laughs> 
but you, you, you're bringing the money in yourself. And that's really exciting. And one of our, one of our motors right now is you never say no. So if someone comes and asks you for a job, for something, asks you for, gives you, offers you a contract or needs a service or something, you say yes. And yeah. then figure out how you're going to do it. Yep. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's there. There's always a way. There's always a way. Yep. Oh my goodness. I love it. I think, uh, I don't know. I, I love your attitude and I know that um, you, you'll figure things out. What it looks like, you may not know, but obviously you will figure out what uh, your triathlon, and I hate I hate the word journey, but the triathlon yeah, journey might look like. <laughs> uh, it's like, you it's know. like reach and engagement. It's like the awful words. Oh, God. Yeah. Or all the buzzwords at the moment, pivot, um, unprecedented, all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, a, a deep dive. Oh God! Do you know, I keep finding that I keep saying on this podcast, "Oh, I need to unpack that," and I'm like, "Where did I even learn that?" But I hate hearing myself say it. I'm like, "Stop saying that! It sounds so wanky." <laughs> my my mum is a she's a manager in a in a really big pharmaceutical company, and I often share an office with her when I'm yeah. back home at my mum and dad's, and she's on the phone all day, and she's got two catchphrases, um, and one of them is, "In my perspective." <laughs> and and the other one is um we've done a deep dive on something and it just sounds wrong it just sounds oh. like you've done something really nasty or, or dirty with this project yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when i when i first moved from uh tasmania to melbourne i you know, I, I grew up, so throughout uni and everything, I was working in cafes, working at my mum's pub. I was hospitality all the way through uh, my, I guess, teenage years and early 20s. And then, um, sorry, I've just got Brett and Frankie have just come back from the shops and they stand outside the window, like banging on the window to say hi. And I'm like pointing at my earphones furiously, like I'm talking to someone on a podcast. I told you this. Anyway, uh, I digress. Anyway, I ended up getting a, just an office job when I moved to Melbourne, um, you know, just to pay the bills and to figure out what I wanted to do. And I kept on getting these emails that said, uh, you know, um, great to catch up today, Steph. If you could get all that stuff through to us, Cobb. And I'm like, what What the hell is Cobb? I had to Google it and it meant close of business. And I'm like, why do you just speak normally? And it just, I hate it. I hate those little, yeah. Get it to me by EOD. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just shut up and speak <laughs> like a human. <laughs> the, the other yeah. one, yeah. Uh, sorry. And when I, I did um, marketing at uni, and the, the, the biggest buzzword in marketing at the time was synergy. And I just want to vomit every time. I've got like that Pavlovian uh, response <laughs> to that word where I don't salivate, I want to vomit. <laughs> I have that with organic. <laughs> there is nothing, nothing less organic than Instagram reach. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, my God, I love that. Oh, brilliant. Um, hey, Emma, I really don't want – and I say this at the end of every episode, but I, I, I really mean it. I would love to continue talking with you, but yeah. I know that you're a busy woman and we've got to wrap things up. But before we go, I do have two questions that I want to ask you that I do ask everyone. Oh my goodness! No, it's not the quote one, isn't it? Is it? I don't it, do. I don't do quotes. No, I don't ask you what your favorite quote is. Okay, I think oh, that's, that's lame. Right. That's okay. lame. Lame. <laughs> Sorry, but that's okay. I do ask you, what are you currently obsessed with? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, coffee. Coffee, good, great, yeah, great coffee response. because we've just moved to a new flat, and there's this Ponzi or Bialetti. Uh, we're into like espresso, like proper no filter coffees here, um, <laughs> and it makes the most horrendous coffee. And I just need it because I'm running really, really low on energy, <laughs> and I just need it in the morning. And it's just not drinkable. And we we're ordering an espresso machine. A Nespresso or no, an no espresso. real one, an espresso. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's, gonna, just... it's quite expensive, but but we've worked really hard, and we we kind of reckon we've earned it. So. We're hoping it's going to get here within the next month. I'm very impressed. Good on you. Um, that That is our next um, investment because it will be an investment because we want a decent one. Um, but for Father's Day, I got Brady an, ele an electric uh, grinder because 
I feel like it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Great answer. Okay, last question. Outside of the world of triathlon, who is your favourite famous Emma? I, I don't do idols. I really don't. But I got a lot of stick when I was growing up because of the Spice Girls. And oh yes, yeah. <laughs> there was an Emma Emma Bunton. The, the, I mean, the blonde one. Yeah, and Emma Bunton, Baby yeah, Spice. Baby Spice. Yeah, she was an Emma. So every time I went like, "Hi, I'm Emma." Oh, it's like the Spice Girls. So yeah. Really? Although, you know, I was always told that I was Sporty Spice just because I like sport. So people are dumb. Like, <laughs> come, come up with some decent nicknames. Come yeah. on. But I'm sure if you put, like, wannabe on as the outro for the podcast, people will be dancing. Oh, my God. Well, I don't know what we're allowed to do in terms of copyright. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I won't be able to do it. I won't be allowed to do it. Yeah, no. but maybe we should just sing it. You can, no, don't let, don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick to writing if you don't mind. Yeah, I tell you what, I want to. You can't help but join in. No, you you were st- it's all you. Yeah, you really didn't want to do it, but in <laughs> less than two seconds, you were on board. I love it. Uh, oh okay baby spice thank you um so much for joining me and also for actually let me just say everyone out there emma actually approached us uh to be involved with wits up and one of the things and i don't think i've actually told you this but one of the things i really loved about you connecting with us was that you came to came to uh well it was to sit i think and just said you know this is where i think i can um can contribute to the website. These are my areas of expertise. This is what I'm willing to do in terms of time and everything. And I, when I got that email, I just did a slow clap because I'm like, that's what we need is, you know, um, everyone wants to offer to help, which is fantastic and I really appreciate it. But I don't think people really quite understand how much is involved. And you clearly understood that, had a real vision for how you thought you could contribute to what we're trying to achieve. And uh, that is very rare, and I thank you for that. Well, it's my pleasure. And if anyone wants, well, I, I don't pretend, again, I'm not a Tour de France um, mechanic, and maybe people are more interested in some stuff than others, but feel free to send the questions in, and I'll try my best to answer if it's anything to do with, like, tech and stuff. I like it. We will get onto that. So start cool. sending your questions in. Um, Emma, thank you so much for getting up early, even though you get up early anyway, but for taking some time to have a chat to me and we'll be chatting to you again soon, no doubt. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Steph. Thanks, mate. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-deep in awesomeness. (laughs)